Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by Yetter Manufacturing. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Today, I'd like to introduce Richard Earhart, Senior Extension Specialist for Small Ruminants with Michigan State University. Richard will be discussing cover crops and livestock. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Hi, thanks, Sarah. I'm glad to be here. To get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'm the uh, sheep and goat specialist at Michigan State University. I've been here for about 11 years. Uh, I've been pretty interested in uh, crop and livestock systems. I originally grew up in the state of Wisconsin, spent a lot of time in upstate New York running a farm. And also, I still have my own flock of sheep, as a matter of fact. I've got about 200 ewes on an accelerated lambing program. So I do some of this cover crop grazing each year myself. Wow, sounds like you're busy. <laughs> I enjoy, I, it, it's, it's nice to have these opportunities. I think uh, cover crop grazing uh, is a really great fit for many parts of the country and it works really well with sheep production systems for sure. Okay, fantastic. So let's go ahead and, and dive right in. Uh, many livestock producers today are uh, looking to create additional revenue streams to boost the income generated by their operations. Can you talk a little bit about how cover crops can be one of those revenue streams for livestock producers? Well, I think the main thing is you can really reduce your feed costs with uh, cover crop grazing. Uh, it gives you a chance to extend the grazing season uh, pretty significantly. Most of the cover crops that we grow, uh, grow during cool weather and they can be stockpiled and grazed into winter or even graze in the spring. So you can cut your reliance on stored forage quite a bit, which really will save you money because, you know, essentially grazed forage is going to cost maybe half or even slightly less than most forms of stored forage that you can buy. So that's more of a cost saving thing than a revenue stream, but certainly your revenues, your, your profit's going to be greater when you cut your feed costs. Definitely. So are there certain species of livestock that are better suited for grazing cover crops, or does that really depend on what type of operation the grower has? Um, well, I think both sheep and cattle are well suited for cover crop grazing, certainly. I've had most experience with sheep, so that's where I'm coming from. But certainly cattle um, can take advantage, any, any ruminant animal really that can take advantage of high quality forage that can be stockpiled into winter is going to benefit from cover crop grazing. Great. So then 
a lot of livestock producers might be looking to using cover crops to extend the grazing season. How does that work exactly? Well, if you, you know, I guess I will talk from now here. I, I'm located here in central Michigan. Um, so our grazing season for our typical perennial pastures and our, uh, is going to pretty much end in November. Some, you know, it depends, give or take a few weeks. And, you know, the grazing the grass isn't going to start growing until late April, early May. So you really have a six month grazing season, essentially, in a perennial pasture system. So cover crops uh, by, you know, expanding your livestock production onto cropland. First of all, you've got a lot more grazing land available to you suddenly. And secondly, cover crops can be stockpiled. So they're growing, you know, if you have a, there's many different cover crop systems, of course, but if you have a cover crop that you plant late summer, early fall, that can grow during those growing days of, of you know, August, September, early October. And you can have a significant amount of forage that you can graze then when your permanent pastures are dormant. So you'll be grazing this cover crop forage into November, December, even January, because it, it holds its quality pretty well, even, even in snow conditions like we have here in Michigan. Okay, fantastic. So some cover crop growers might not consider themselves livestock people. What might be some examples of ways that crop growers and can work with maybe neighboring farmers that do have livestock to find a, a balance between getting those cover crop benefits and for the livestock producer, utilizing cover crops to help lower feed costs and extend that grazing season? Yeah, um, some examples. I mean, I think it's a perfect way to have a great partnership for a real kind of winning situation for both the crop farmer and the livestock producer. For example, I'll just use my example because it's the one I'm most familiar with. I have a neighbor who's a crop farmer. I've got, you know, smaller acreage with sheep. Uh, I just in my example, I pay for the cover crop seed. I even pay for some fertilizer to put on the cover crop, which you normally wouldn't in a, in a conventional cover crop situation, but I'll pay for that fertilizer and for the seed. The farmer, the scrap farmer, neighbor of mine already intended to plant a cover crop. So I'm saving him money by buying the seed, right? Yet, and then I get the, and then I graze it on his land and I'm responsible for all fencing, all, you know, livestock management and, you know, making sure that my animals are secured in their fences. All those have, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and it's been a good relationship. Um, so that's an example. So basically I get this great, you know, acres and acres of cover crops, whatever I wish. And um, the, crop farmer has the advantage of having the cover crop, which he is already intending to plant for agronomic purposes, but then gets a much cheaper cover crop um, by, you know, me paying for the seed and, and also gets a fertilizer credit. So if I fertilize that, those nutrients are going to stay pretty much in that soil. That's really a, a credit, a fertilizer credit to that farmer as well. So those are some pretty nice advantages for the crop farmer. Um, so those are the primaries. Okay, that sounds like a great relationship uh, and beneficial to both parties, certainly. So let's talk a little bit about the benefits 
that the grower has from having livestock graze on a field. So you mentioned like fertilizer that staying in the soil and that type of thing. Are there other benefits as well? Well, I guess, you know, think about it from that perspective, from a crop farmer's perspective, you'd consider, first of all, you know, you're lowering the cost of the cover crop considerably uh, by paying for the seed and adding some fertilizer value. Um, there may be some benefits from you, you basically are recycling the cover crop instead of letting it, you know, just go dormant and plowing it in the spring. The livestock by consuming it are kind of recycling it maybe more efficiently because then they end up with manure and urine, of course, as fertilizer. Um, so those may have some advantages as well. Uh, if I, I guess I call it like an enhanced recycling of crop residue. What about the health of the livestock? Does grazing cover crops, have you seen in your experience any impact on animal health as a result of grazing those covers? Yeah, that's always an important consideration. And I would say that for the most part, it's, it's a real positive benefit because the quality of the forage that you see in cover crop is very high. You know, we're talking real high energy forages. So these animals typically gain weight. Um, so, and, and you can create a mixture of cover crops, which you kind of want a mixture anyhow for the agronomic benefit of the cover crop. But that mixture is, if you choose it correctly, it can be perfectly complementary type of nutritional profile for the ruminant animal. So I like to mix like, for example, brassica or like turnip and, and kale type forage with some small grain forage. So I've got now the brassica has a lot of uh, uh, high energy, a lot high sugar content just to keep it kind of basic here. Yet the um, small grain content, which I mix with the brassica type species, like something maybe like a forage oat, has a nice like digestible fiber component. So you have that digestible fiber component with the added sugars, you get a really nice uh, nutritional profile for the, for the sheep or, or cow. Okay. So you mentioned earlier when you were talking about the arrangement with your, your neighbor crop grower that mm -hmm. um, you supply the fencing and water uh, needs for those cover crop fields. From a livestock producer's perspective, how do you justify some of those additional costs with uh, the benefits of saving money on feed by grazing covers? Sure, that's a great question. I think when you think about the costs of the infrastructure, you know, the fencing and water you might need, they're fairly minimal. For example, for my farm, I already own that fencing and I use the subdivision fencing that I use for cover crop grazing already in my grazing system on my own farm. So I'm not really buying any more fencing. I'm just utilizing it, you know, on the cover crop in the fall. But let's say you had to buy the fencing. If you look at that investment over time, and I've looked at this before, it's like maybe five to $10 per dry matter ton that's a pretty cheap feeding system, really. You know, that's the fencing depreciated over time. As far as water goes, uh, the interesting, you know, benefit of cover crops is they're a pretty you know, wet forage, okay? You know, they're a lush crop that you're grazing in a cool time of year. 
So the water needs are pretty minimal for livestock because it's cold and because the forage water content of the cover crop is so high. So these animals, even if you put liquid water in front of them, they won't drink it because it's just such a lush forage. So you don't really need in, in most circumstances of cover crops to provide supplemental water because it's a cool time of year because that forage is so lush. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. With a tradition of providing farmer solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. And now back to the podcast. You kind of alluded to this a little bit in one of the previous questions, but I wanted to really get to some pointed information about um, which cover crop species have you seen in your experience that are best for grazing livestock? Sure. Um, you know, it depends on the crop, you know, the commodity crop you're growing and when you plant it. So it's hard for me to make a blanket statement, but I'll give you some examples. Like we mostly, uh, our, our best benefit for cover crop grazing comes from like wheat or small grains, something that's terminated in August or harvested in August, or excuse me, July. And then you can plant uh, your cover crop in August. In that kind of scenario, let's say, I really like to have a mixture of small grains and brassicas. So small grain, the one I, I prefer would be like a forage oat because uh, generally, especially a late maturing forage oat variety, one that doesn't really head out by the time the grazing season begins. So you get this nice lush, leafy, uh, small grain. And then you uh, combine that with brassicas. And then brassicas are pretty broad variety of, 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 of species. But like you would, for example, purple top turnips, there's some improved varieties. I almost always put some purple top turnip in the mix. And then there's a number of forage kale rape hybrids, hybrid varieties that you can get that are pretty nice complementary ones to include as well. And then a lot of cover crops are grown with what are called tillage radishes, which are you know, these, they're basically a daikon radish. If you go to the grocery store, they call them daikon radish. In the cover crop world, they call them like a tillage radish, pretty much the same thing. They're an oilseed radish uh, with design for this deep tuber. Those are actually really high quality as well. So a mixture of some of this radish, purple top turnips, rape kale, and a small grain are, that's probably my go-to mix for after, quickly after wheat harvest. Okay. So with a cover crop species mix like that, mm -hmm. how often should livestock producers move groups of animals between cover crop paddocks. And I'm sure that might vary depending on how many animals are in the group and how large the cover crop paddocks are. 
Yeah, you know, the nice thing about this grazing system is you can get good utilization, you can get really good utilization with longer extended periods, so you don't have to move the sheep or goat or sheep, goats, cattle quite as often. But I, I kind of shoot for about a week of grazing. Um, I like to move them about every week. And that seems to be a good compromise. You're not having to set up too much fence. But the advantage of having about a seven day or week period is that let's say you get, you know, a heavy rain, which you often get in November and the soil is slightly frozen, you can get mud conditions and you might need to get the animals off of that. So having a slightly smaller area, instead of having, you know, a larger field for two weeks, a smaller uh, field for one week is a good compromise. That way, you know, you might make the, you might wish for those animals to move more quickly so they don't establish like a muddy condition in the field. And so by having like a week is a good compromise. You're not moving them too quickly, but um, you also have a opportunity to move them, you know, to a smaller area and not waste as much forage if you uh, have a slightly smaller area, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So for growers that may be grazing livestock in a cover crop field, are there any soil health concerns that they should be worried about? Um, I think for the most part, it's a soil health benefit, I would say, for cover crop grazing. Um, what I might consider, though, or cover crops in general, cover crop grazing doesn't uh, necessarily take away any of those benefits. In fact, you know, it may be that you get greater, better insect control, better crop disease control with some consumption of that res that cover crop residue. But the, the probably the primary concern a crop farmer might have is, you know, do these animals create some, some degree of compaction of the soil, which would be a negative. We know for sheep that we do get some degree of compaction in areas of the field where they congregate, but we've measured that at MSU. We've done some, we're doing some research with this system and we found that it's pretty minimal. It's very superficial, very shallow. And even the lightest tillage seems to, you know, remove it, erase it completely. So we do see a minor amount of that, but it isn't such that it's going to affect any kind of, uh, you know, significant soil health issue for sure. Okay, great. So, for example, if a, a grower was renting land and they're growing cover crops on that rental crop ground, what would be your suggestion of a conversation that they should maybe have with the landowner about the benefits of grazing cover crops and, and kind of getting permission to take the cover crop system to the next level? Um, yeah, I guess... Uh... The considerations I'd have, you know, you just want to make sure that you have a good fencing system, good a good um, understanding of the importance of that, that's secure. You'd want to have, you know, some understanding about, you know, who, I guess, you know, who's responsible for what, but, um, you know, regarding animal care and all of that. Um, but I think, yeah, those are the main considerations I can think of. So... Do livestock do better with consuming cover crops if they are grazing them versus eating those cover crops as hay or silage? 
I guess my best answer for that is, you know, either form is great because you have some really high quality forage we're talking about. And um, whether it be grazed or fed as silage, they're both great sources. So I don't think there's any, you know, advantage or both. They're both really good sources of nutrition and uh, have good economies too. Okay. So uh, we kind of touched on this earlier, but uh, when we're talking the financial impacts of grazing cover crops, dollar-wise, how much are we talking that it might save both the grower and a livestock producer? Well, um, you know, I can give you some examples. Uh, it, it depends, you know, there's, I'm not trying to sound vague here. It depends on the system, obviously, like how long you graze it and how much is available and, you know, what basically how much is available. The cost of establishing cover crops is not much. So it basically becomes a, a function of like how much the livestock can graze. For most of our systems, we get at least a couple tons of forage, maybe up to three tons in the field. We might harvest just one ton of it. So we leave a fair bit of residue in those fields. So we get, we kind of do some fairly selective grazing. At that level, if I estimate the cost of that forage and, or the value of that forage, however you want to say it, in terms in a dollar amount, it's about 30, maybe $40 at most, um, a dry matter ton. And if you compare that, and this is very high quality forage. So if you compare that the equivalent of uh, harvested forage, you're talking probably something costing three to four times as much. So that's a big savings. You know, these cover crops are giving you really high quality forage at a pretty cheap price. Wow, that's really good savings. So you, a little bit ago, you talked about um, having smaller paddocks for uh, livestock to graze in. What would be your recommendation for the size of acres uh, a paddock should be? You could have it. You can do this on a smaller, large scale. Um, you know, the factors that are going to determine that are, I guess, you know, what your opportunity is. Um, you know, for example, I'm, I'm grazing a medium size sheep flock, maybe 100, 150 ewes on these uh, fields. And I don't think our, our uh, paddocks are much more than an acre, two acres at a time. So they're fairly small. Um, you know, you could make it more of a micro system if you have less livestock or a larger system if you have more. I don't really think there's like maybe necessarily an ideal. It just has to do with, you know, pretty much how much forage you want, what's your utilization target? You know, are you going to try to take half of the forages in the field or or a little less? Most cover crop systems, I take a little less. I take like 30 or 40%. Then you figure out, you know, what size field you need for what period of time to accommodate that. And that that's kind of the basic, you know, math or, you know, thoughts you put into how big of an area you need. So it depends on how many animals, how much you want to take, and then how much is available. Okay. Well, that kind of answers the question I had too about uh, carrying capacity for a paddock with cover crops. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll go to my next question. Uh, is grazing typically best done 
in those late winter months, November, December, possibly January, or are there, is there also a benefit that can be gained from perhaps grazing something like cereal rye that has come back in the spring from being overwintered? Yeah, uh, I had, cereal rye is, is a nice early season crop. Um, you know, you'll see it planted in a lot of cropping systems. And yeah, you could get some really nice benefit from that. Generally, you know, the mass that's there, it, it's gonna vary. It's not gonna be necessarily as much as you might see in a stockpiled fall crop, but certainly has value and it's probably worth the quote unquote trouble of grazing early in the spring, because again, you can get great savings. But just when you're talking about your, uh, you asked me before about the carrying capacity, you know, and that is a little hard to describe, but I can give you an example. Um, we get about 250, 300 grazing days uh, per acre for our adult sheep. So, you know, we could, uh, so our acres, one acre of our cover crop forage could hold about 300 sheep for a day, or, you know, it depends how you look at it, um, you know, um, over an extended period of time, that's far less, but that gives you a sense for it. So we're talking like, you know, somewhere between two and three tons. I've also planted cover crops, however, earlier in the season, like in July and gotten tremendous yields. Um, so, you know, it depends on how much biomass is there and when they're planted as to what kind of carrying capacity you can have. Okay, great. So where could our listeners go for more information about grazing cover crops? Okay, yeah, there's a few um, uh, websites that we have at Michigan State University. One of them is called the MSU Forage Connection, which is put together by our forage agronomist, uh, Dr. Kim Cassida. He's done a great job of putting together a lot of resources on forages and cover crop systems. I also have a uh, website called the MSU Sheep and Goat website, which is part of our extension system website pages. I've got a lot of resources there. And then the Midwest Cover Crop Group also would have some really nice information that'd be helpful to farmers. Fantastic. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for joining us, Richard. Appreciate your time and expertise. Oh, yeah, you're very welcome, Sarah. It was my pleasure. And I hope, um, I hope, I hope people got something out of this conversation today. Definitely. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I want to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.